1 John chapter number 1. Before we get into uh, the message this morning, I do want to invite you to pray along with me and that we would approach Him. And that's what our Sunday school has been about over the course of the last six weeks, just approaching God. And uh, uh, as we approach Him, it's, it's important for us to understand that we hear uh, what it is that He is wanting to tell us. And so we need to realize that we are coming before the creator and sustainer of the universe. And so this is what we're doing when we approach God. We're talking to him in prayer. We are coming before the creator and sustainer of all. And we've been worshiping thus far this morning in song. We've worshiped in uh, tithes and offerings in prayer time. Uh, We're getting ready to worship him once more in prayer. And then after that, we're going to worship him through the study of his word. And we're going to ask him to change our hearts. And so join me in prayer, if you would, please. Heavenly Father, I think of how your son approached you. God himself, robed in flesh, he saw the need of prayer. Father, we often do not see the need as he does. We try to handle things in our own power. We try to handle things with our own understanding. Father, that just muddies the problems over and over again. So God, what I'm asking is something that only your spirit can do for us. And that's to help drown out the cares and concerns of this world. And place a spotlight on your truth. So Lord we recognize this morning that not everyone has the same need. But everyone does have the same Savior they can turn to. If they trust in you. And so Lord the answer may be the same. Jesus. The needs may be different. But, Father, over all of it, we're able to come together in this fellowship. So, Lord, as we get into your word and study your truth, show us where we have perhaps erred, misunderstood. Show us the problems of our life that need to be addressed. And we commit ourselves now, Father, to putting everything else aside and simply obeying your truth. We pray all of this in the name that is above every name name of Jesus Christ and all of God's children said, amen. We've been looking at 1 John here for the second week now. Uh, Last week we gave our overview. If you missed the overview, uh, uh, we have started going live on Sunday mornings on um, uh, sermonaudio.com and then everything's getting published up there uh, through the week. We'll publish those. So if you missed the overview and you're curious about what's going on, um, please feel free to go back to doing that. You can find sermonaudio.com slash Buckingham Baptist, and you'll find us there. But I want to make a couple statements before we read this morning. First and foremost, God does not waste time. God doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste effort. When he puts something on paper, it's there for a reason and purpose. Uh, we, we sometimes uh, simply feel that we have to uh, fill the time with something. And so there's those times when there's silence. And I don't know if you've ever 
uh, heard, you know, silence is golden. Anybody who doesn't understand silence is golden never had children. There's, there are those times where silence is golden. <laughs> and uh, 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 if you're driving down uh, the road here heading, uh, heading out toward Fort Myers uh, at a certain time of day or heading back from Fort Myers at a certain time of the day, you know that uh, in the midst of all the turmoil, the horn tonking and the, uh, uh, the sirens blaring, you understand as well, sometimes silence is golden. Uh, God doesn't just fill the silent times because there's nothing better to do. He gives us uh, his word and he puts uh, things out there because it's purposeful. And I believe the same is true whenever we read the word of God. We must examine the reasoning for the writing. And such is the case of First John here. So, uh, so much can be misunderstood if we don't rightly get what John is trying to uh, to convey. So much of it is misunderstood. Uh, there's been many people who have taken um, uh, parts of 1 John to mean that if you sin, you're not saved. And beloved, that's not the truth. That's not the truth of the matter by any stretch of the imagination. But they have taken and they removed certain parts of John and built an entire foundational uh, doctrine for their church and their belief system around part of it without understanding the whole of what John is trying to put out there. Today, we're going to begin looking at, for, at John's first reason for writing, uh, and it's, it's basically this. It's a defense of the faith. It's a defense of the faith. Now, many may not see this book as an apologetic, but I want you to understand what an apologetic really is. When Paul was speaking to, uh, to uh, uh, Felix, uh, he made this statement, hear my defense, which is what he was saying was, hear my apologia or my apologetic. Now, apologetics are, it is a great study. Uh, I, I love the study of apologetics. But I'm not so sure apologetics is really there to reach the unbeliever as much as we sometimes think it is. Apologetics is more, in all honesty, for the believer. It strengthens the faith of the believer. Evangelism, reaching the unbeliever, is one thing. The apologetic is, here's the defense for why we believe. Now, I understand you can use apologetics and evangelism. I'm not trying to discount that. But what I'm trying to help us understand is, as, as we looked at last week, John was writing to a group of believers. He was not writing to unbelievers. And he places before us an apologetic or a defense of the faith that he is holding and that it should be held. And he looks at the way many people have walked away and left the faith. They have followed other people. They followed other teachings. They followed other uh, uh, preaching. And, and he is trying to say, wait a second, let's get back to the main thing and let's understand the truth of the gospel without all the extra mud in the, uh, in the way. So for us to look into this, apologetic strengthening the believer, it, 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 it lends to us the same thing that Peter was trying to say in 2 Peter 1.16, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He's saying we are believing something that is logical, it is legitimate, it's not just a bunch of stories, it is the truth. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables. He says we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses. 
Now, it's important for us to understand the eyewitness accounts. It's important that we see these things uh, the way that the Lord wanted us to see it. Stand with me, if you would, now, as we read our text this morning, 1 John chapter number 1, and we'll read starting in verse number 1 down through verse number 4. There the word of the Lord says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you the eternal, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Father, would you help our joy to be full this morning as we understand more about what it is that you truly teach. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As we begin our study in 1 John, we're confronted straight away with a statement that can be taken a couple ways, really. The statement that is before us is right there at the beginning. It says, that which was from the beginning. And as we look at this, it's important to see that this is, this is a statement that can be taken uh, two main ways. There are two basic understandings of what this statement is truly saying. Now, both ways to interpret it, I don't think either one of them is necessarily uh, bad. Uh, I wouldn't say that if you land on one interpretation, you're going into heresy and you're, you're running into, into problems. Uh, I just believe that the other one is a stronger case um, because of what is being said. Uh, let's put it out there this way. The statement, that which was from the beginning, if you keep your hand here in 1 John, go back to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. John chapter number 1. Hopefully you'll see what I'm talking about. Look at John chapter 1, the very beginning of the book. It says, in the beginning, there's that word beginning again. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and darkness comprehended it not. Now, if you drop down to verse number 14, notice what it says. It says, and the word, that same at the beginning, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the book of John, the gospel according to John, this statement in the beginning was the word is a statement to take us back all the way to the beginning of time. He says, from the very start, from the beginning of time, in the beginning, at the very beginning, before man was around, before animals were around, before dirt was around, before any of it was around, the word existed. And the word, logos, the, the Greek word for word, it is actually carries with it more than just a group of, uh, of letters strung together to make a coherent uh, uh, statement. It is what is trying to be 
trying to be put out by those words. So if I say the word confession, the word confession is not the end of what we're understanding. We're trying to put out a truth through the word confession. It's the only way we can communicate it. And so it's saying, in the beginning was the word. What, the, what he's saying is everything God wanted to express to you, everything that was about God, the whole truth about God, existed long before, and that was Jesus Christ. This is what John is trying to put, to put out to us, that J- Jesus did not begin in the manger. He was there from the beginning. Now, the Jehovah's Witness Bible will take it in the New World Translation. It inserts the indefinite article, which is an interesting thing because Greek really doesn't have an indefinite article. It has a definite article. So if you were to read the New World Translation, it would say something to the effect of, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was a God. There's a problem with that. From a Greek standpoint, there's a problem with that because the definite article was, would be used, the indefinite article would not be used, a God would not be there. Second, uh, another issue that you run into is in the book of Isaiah, Jehovah God himself says, I am God and there is no other God. There, will be, there was none before me. There will be none after me. I am the only Savior. We have a problem here. If Jesus was a God, Jehovah was wrong in saying that he is the only God. There was none before him. There will be none after him. And so the Jehovah's Witness either has, uh, either has a Jehovah that was mistaken or they're mistaken. Jesus is not a God. He is God. This is the truth that John wanted to convey here. In John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word. He even goes down the list. He says, in verse 3, he says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. If Jesus was a created being, that statement is null and void. Because it says anything that was made was made by the hand of Jesus Christ, the Word. This is the truth that John is trying to put out to us in, John, in, first, uh, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. But I think things are a little bit different. The first, uh, the first interpretation, if we go back again to 1 John, chapter number 1, and look at 1 John, chapter number 1. Now, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Some people will take this to mean that Jesus, again, was from the beginning. Now, while that statement is, is not untrue, I don't believe that's what John is trying to put out in 1 John chapter number 1. You see, the book of John, he lets us know, was written so that people would believe on Jesus Christ. He says, I, I could write a whole lot more about this than I have written, but he's, he's, I don't have the time. I wrote these down for you so that you will believe in Jesus Christ. Here he's writing to people who already believe in Jesus Christ. And so I don't believe that he's he's stating for us that Jesus was from the beginning of time before time existed or any of that. That's not what he's trying to uh, trying to put out here for us. John is not introducing Jesus. He is defending the faith. Let's take a look at some of these things Uh, too far. Sorry. Uh, he is defending the, the faith. You're just going to have to wait, and we'll get back to that slide in a minute. Some of you are getting excited to write down what was there. 
just a teaser, right? And so many commentaries apply the same thing, but, but it's important for us to see what it is that John is combating. As we make our way through this, these passages in, in our study in 1 John, we're going to see that he is, he is up against some, some issues. Again, he is writing at a time where he's probably speaking to second and third generation believers. And some of these folks were starting to stray because of what is referred to as the Gnostic uh, uh, teachings. Now we'll get that back up. The Gnostics, what are the Gnostics? The word Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, uh, which uh, just basically means knowledge, to know something. If you, uh, if you understand, uh, we have um, uh, what people refer to themselves as atheists, but there really are no such things as atheists. There are some agnostics, and if you understand the term agnostic, it's someone who, they don't say that there is no God. The atheist says there is no God, unequivocally, there is no God. The Gnostic says, there might be, I don't think there is, we just don't have enough evidence. He says, we don't know. Now, the Gnostic uh, uh, is one who says, I know something. So you've got agnostic, against knowledge, don't have knowledge, but then you have the Gnostic. They claim that they know something. They were claiming to have a knowledge that others did not have. This is not uncommon to us today. The Mormon will tell you that the, the, the Jewish people had the truth and lost it. Then the Christian people, they got the truth, and the early church had the truth, and they lost it. And then Joseph Smith comes along, and he says, I have it, I've figured it out, I have the truth. That's what a Gnostic says. A Gnostic will tell you that he has gotten something from the Lord that everybody else missed. They were wrong in it, they didn't get it right, I've got it under control. I've got it figured out. And then they start adding to the word of God. Beloved, that's dangerous ground. Dangerous ground. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Now, there's a lot of us that, are, that we're strong on. That's right. Don't add a thing to the gospel. Don't add anything to the word of God. But there's some of us that we'll read through it, and we see when the Bible tells us to do something, husbands, love your wife. And we say, nope, not going to do that. That's taking from the word of God. I'm just going to pretend that's not there. Wives, see that you reverence your husband. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Ain't happening. That's taking from the Word of God. Let's just pretend that's not there. The person that says, not my God. My God is not a God of war. My God is not a God of uh, of calamity my god is not a god uh, of punishment and wrath my god is a god of love and you hear love 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 they sing all you need is love and we've bought it hook line and sinker that's taking from the word of god my bible says that my god is the god of calamity my bible tells me that my god is a god of war Tells me my God is a God of justice. Tells me my God is a God of wrath. Don't take away from my God. So we've got to be careful with this. The Gnostics, one of the teachings was that everything in the world was evil. All flesh is sinful. Therefore, Jesus was only God. He was never man. That's wrong. 
Now, it's difficult for us to, I mean, how can something be 100% one thing and 100% the another thing at the same time? The moment you understand that, he ceases to be God. But I, I believe it. He was God and he was man. The very thought that the creator and sustainer of the universe would step into his creation and become one of us. Wow. That's something that never ceases to just blow my mind. Here we have the Gnostics teaching some of these things, and one of the things that they, they, they taught was that Jesus came, the Christ came, but he only came in spiritual form. He did not come in human form. He did not come in the flesh. And as we go through 1 John, we're going to see times where 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 John points out, he says, if anybody d- denies that the Christ has come in the flesh, is not from God. He came. And so uh, another idea put out there by the Gnostics uh, was that the original message, check this out, the original message was muddied, and they have to clean it up and clear it up for us. You don't have to go back to the first century to find Gnostics. They're down the street. So he puts it out here. Now, now they'll, they'll try to say things like, well, the Holy Spirit or, or uh, angels uh, delivered this knowledge to them. But I guess the question we could ask is, why does it matter with the beginning statement? Uh, in the beginning, uh, uh, that which was from the beginning. John is referring to the gospel message here. The message of Jesus, which, was, which has been the message from the beginning of the days of the church. It's been the message from the very start, and it will always be the message. John is saying that which was from the very start. You all are talking about a false gospel. You're talking about a false doctrine. These people are leaving the true church to follow after lies, to follow after the Gnostic gospels. He says that which was from the very start. In other words, Jesus taught us, we taught you. That's the message he taught. And he says that which was from the beginning, the very very truth of who Jesus is. When we understand what was going on in the book, we have a better idea of what John is communicating. So with that thought, look at 1 John chapter 2, drop down to verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had, read those next three words with me, from the beginning. Uh, look at verse 13. I write unto you fathers because ye have known him that was, read the next words, from the beginning. Uh, look at verse 24 of chapter 2. I'm sorry, no, go back to verse 14. I jumped over this one. I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that was from the beginning. Look at verse 24. Uh, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. Look at ver- uh, chapter 3, verse number 11. You ready? Here's the clincher for it. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning. John's not trying to prove that Jesus existed from the beginning of time. He's saying the message that was there at the start. 
is the same message today. There is no need for anyone to come along and clear it up with new words. There wasn't in 9095 AD. There isn't in 2023. It's the same message that Jesus preached, the same message the apostles preached, the same message the church fathers preached, and it will be the same message Buckingham Baptist preaches. That's where we stand. Now, John takes the moment here, and he wants it to be very clear that this is the message. And so we're going to look at some of this uh, as we continue to go through. But for right now, I want you to look at how he is able to make this kind of claim. Uh, the, the statement that he makes is all about the witness that he is putting out there. The witness, or maybe we should say it this way, the witnesses. Uh, notice there in verse number one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of There's a parenthetical statement in verse 2, so jump down to verse 3. That which we have seen which first came unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his, with his Son, Jesus Christ. John employs empirical evidences here. He's, his, his, uh, uh, his testimony is coming out, and he's saying, look, I am, uh, I, I am able to speak about this because I have actually heard and seen him. I was there. You ever have someone tell a story, and they got all the details wrong, but you were there, and you're like, wait a minute, let me tell you what really happened. You know, they're telling it from a third or fourth uh, uh, story. You know, they're, they're, they're stepping off to the side. Well, I heard that this happened and this happened, and this is how I heard it. But then you step in and go, um, I was there. That's not the way it went down. Here's the way it happened. And were you there? No. I was there. This is what John's saying. I heard him. I saw him. And you're going to listen to this ding dong? He wasn't there. Jesus has been dead for 60 years. He's only 20. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I was there. I knew him. But not, he goes even beyond just the seeing and the hearing. Notice what else he says. Uh, he says, we have looked he says, uh, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. You might, look, you, you might think to yourself, well, what's the difference between seeing and looking? There's a whole, different, a, whole, a whole lot of difference between seeing and looking. There's a lot of people who have seen the Word of God. Not as many people who have looked. There's a difference between just reading and studying. That's what I love about that key verse for the Awanas. Study to show yourself approved. It doesn't say read to show yourself approved. It says study. Study to show yourself approved unto God. You see, the word for looked 
in the Greek is theamai, and it, it gives to it not just a glancing, but a prolonged study of a subject, a prolonged period of time. It carries an understanding of paying someone a visit. You know, if you're driving down the road and it's like, oh, hey, there's Brother John. Or if I pull into his home and sit down out on the porch with him and talk. That's the difference. Not only that, he says, that which we have uh, looked upon and our hands have handled. John the Beloved was able to say, not only have I looked upon, I actually physically made contact with him. This is the one that the Bible tells us laid upon his breast at dinner. They were close, intimate with one another. They loved each other like brothers. Who are you going to believe? You're going to believe someone that had that kind of relationship? Or someone who heard from someone who heard from someone who heard from someone who heard? We've all played telephone, right? He goes beyond just the knowledge but into having literally had, had fellowship with him. Oops, wrong way. John's credibility is without question here, without question. But I want you to notice he doesn't just hold it to himself. He, it wasn't just John, but he uses the wording we. We have heard, we have seen, we have looked upon. Uh, our hands have handled of the word of life. In verse number 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. He is talking about not just himself, but the whole uh, 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 group of the apostolic uh, fathers who gave to them the word of God. This is Matthew. Read his book. Mark is penning what Peter wrote or what Peter told. Luke he took eyewitness accounts and he took the words straight from those who have seen and handled and touched and talked with and lived with. He was recording it all down. Peter, he was in his first and second Peter in his epistles. He is writing what Jesus taught. Paul, Paul had the opportunity to be visited by Jesus and taught by Jesus himself. He says, we know what we're talking about. I don't need Joseph Smith. I don't need the Bahá'u'lláh. I don't need the Buddha. I don't need Zoroastrianism. I don't need Confucius telling me anything that's not in that book. This is an eyewitness account. What are they going to tell me? Nothing. Nothing. But then there's this uh, parenthetical statement because some may ask does it really matter does it really matter as long as we believe in jesus as the savior what does it really matter well there's that parenthetical statement in verse number two he says for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested unto us <laughs> it matters what you believe it matters. Let's look at it this way. This parenthetical statement gives, given in verse number 2 is an explanation to what is being said in verse 1 and verse 3. The truth found in verse 1 and 3 uh, that, uh, uh, that a being that is both eternal and personal was known by them can be known by you. This is the beautiful thing about the Gospels. 
Verse 2 states that the character of the life that was made manifest became visible. That's what manifest means. Is centered in the, re, in the realization of the God-man. It's right there. John defends the authoritative claims that Jesus was who he claimed to be. I'm going to make this statement, then I'm going to back it up. If Jesus is not both God and man, we have no salvation. None. It requires the God-man for God to be both merciful and just. Do you realize justice and mercy are opposed to one another? Think about it. If uh, we're getting ready to leave today and I get in my car and I'm backing out of my car and I slam right into yours. My, uh, we burnt up the GPS DVD in our van. Driving down here, driving back, driving down here, driving back, driving, you know, we burn it up. And I mean, it was smoking hot. And the, the, the wording on it, you just can't read that it, it was, ooh. And so I just took it out and I'm like, I don't need that. I got GPS on my phone. I just kind of, but guess what? Now, forever, until I get a new GPS, I got to go get another map DVD. Uh, the screen in my van just says, no disc. And so my backup camera doesn't work. You notice how quick people are upset about that? We only got those things a few years ago. Oh, you're never going to make it, are you? I got three mirrors, folks. I'm okay. I'm doing all right, all right? And if that doesn't work, I'll roll the window down and stick my head out. I'll be all right. It'll, it will survive. Oh, no, you don't have a camera. So here I am backing out, right? Let's say that I'm one of those that can't survive without my backup camera. And I got, I'm backing out, and I slam right into your car, and I come in, and I go, oh, um, man, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just sick about this. I backed up into your car. You're either going to have justice or you're going to have mercy. You're either going to say, well, that's, that's all right. Don't worry about it, you know. Eh, it's an old car anyway. It, don't worry about it. It's just a little dent. Not a problem. Don't think another thing of it. That's mercy. Or you'll have justice. You go, yeah, buddy, you paying for that. Right? You, <laughs> let's go. Let's get your insurance number and everything. That's justice. It's either justice or it's mercy. Someone said, well, you can kind of have a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. You can be merciful and not make me pay the full price. But it's still not just. Because what I owe you is the full price of what I just, the damage I've done. You know, for God to be merciful means he has to withhold punishment from man. For God to be just, he can't just punish himself because there's no justice, because mankind is who offended God. Mankind has to take the punishment. So for him to be just, he has to punish man. He's not merciful if if Jesus was just a man. He's merciful because Jesus was God. He's just because Jesus was man. It's the only way it works. There is no other way. Jesus can't be a created being that God made just for the purpose of taking the punishment because then God ceases to be merciful. He took the punishment himself. That's mercy. But Jesus was man. That's justice. If we understand that, Look at, at uh, uh, John with me. 
Look at the Gospel of John, chapter number 8. And we're going to start to make our conclusion here in just a moment. John, chapter 8. It is important for us to see the writing and the actual words of Jesus. Now, we're going to start at 858 because this is the one everybody loves in John chapter 8. We jump straight to John chapter 8, right? John chapter 8, verse 58, what does Jesus say there? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am, right? We all know that one. We're familiar with that. Ego eimi, that's the Greek. I exist is what eimi, it's, just, it's, the, it's the verb to be, to be. Be, being, been, has been, was, were. That's what it is. I exist is what Jesus is saying. Now, we understand what he's saying. He is claiming for himself that he is the I am. But you know what we don't see often? Look back at verse 24. Now, if you're reading from a King James, you're going to notice some italicized words. The italicized words are words that were not originally there. They are there to give a little bit of explanation to what is being said. But sometimes, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I wish they just weren't there. Look what it says here in verse 24. And notice italics if you're reading from the King James. Verse 24, he says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Let's read it without the italicized, and it's not doing any injustice because the italicized words are there to help you understand what is being said. Jesus said, for if you believe not that I am. And you go back to the original Greek, guess what you're going to find? Ego, me. He says, unless you believe, I am. You'll die in your sins. Look at verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am. Jesus claimed more than once to be the I am. And he says, I am. And unless we believe that he is the I am, we will die in our sins. Beloved, I want us to see this. It's important to know. It, it matters who you trust. It matters what you believe. It matters who you believe Jesus is. Because unless you take Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity, the God who created the heavens and earth, there is no salvation. That's where he is. So look at the why, and we'll close this up. Look at the why. I, a lot of people, I tell you, a lot of people don't like the italics. I love italics because it helps me to see the truth. I love the italics. Look with me now at the why behind the what. Verse 4. These things write I unto you that your joy may be full. Look at verse 3. 
that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father. If you'll notice, John spells out the result of the gospel in two ways. First, the true gospel gives us the opportunity to have fellowship. Fellowship. The fellowship that is with the body. Here's what is being said with this. This is, this is the typical idea, uh, sadly, in, in, in most churches. The typical idea of fellowship is what? Food. Right? We're going to have fellowship after service. That means we're going to have potluck. That's what that means, right? We're going to have food. That's not what John's talking about. He's talking about the fellowship that we have because of him. We are joined together in the same body. We are joined together in the same belief. We are joined together in the same knowledge. Joined together in the same understanding of our sins. We are joined together in the same hopes joined together in the same destinies. This is what we have fellowship with. Our fellowship is not around food. Fellowship is not, uh, is not around a common meal or common activities. Fellowship is around a common faith that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we trust in who He is, and we stand firmly on His Word. That's the fellowship we have. We can socialize a lot, but true fellowship is around him and his word. That's the true fellowship that we can have. And what John is saying is, look, if this is the gospel that you believe, you're going to have fellowship with us. Later, he talks about the people who left. They went from us, proving they were not of us. They didn't have fellowship because they didn't believe what we believed. But notice what else he says there in verse number 4. And these things, and these things, write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Well, how is it that my joy is full with this gospel? <laughs> you know that the gospel is always joy. Now, I'm going to make this statement. Did you know that the gospel is the worst news a person can hear? Yeah, that's, that's one of those statements you'll hear a cotton ball drop. Think about this. You're a sinner, and there's nothing you can do about it. You're deserving of the wrath of God, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's some bad news. But it's also the best news you'll ever hear. Because of your situation, he came. Because of your situation, he robed himself in flesh. The great I am stepped into, stepped into creation, became one of us, and took your place. You know, it's bad news. It's got to be bad news before it can be good news. Good news is not just good news. It's bad news first. <laughs> now it's good for me to hear this. See, the gospel is always joy, always joy. Notice this. How is it joy? Well, to know that my sins are forgiven. That's joy. That's joy. To know 
that, that not only are my sins forgiven, but my punishment has been borne by another. That's joy. I, I, I don't have to pay for those sins anymore. They're forgiven, and the punishment was taken by someone else. But not only that, uh, to know that I have a relationship with the eternal Father. I have a personal relationship with Him now. That's joy. And if it's not joy, get saved and maybe you'll have some joy in your life. Not only that, but I, I am a recipient of eternal life. No longer do I have the loom of eternal death on me. I have been given eternal life. That's joy. Not only that, <laughs> I have experienced grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace. God's grace. And His grace is greater than all of my sin. That's joy. And I have received mercy. Mercy is God withholding from you what you deserve. Now, some people are like, well, what if God withholds something good that I deserve? Beloved, you don't deserve anything good. I don't either. None of us do. What we deserve, He mercifully withholds. The Gnostic Gospels rob you of joy. Because it's all about what you have to do and what you can do, pulling yourself up by your own moral bootstraps, so to speak. You can't do it. Doesn't work. The true gospel shows you Jesus. If you have not experienced this kind of joy, why not follow him today? If you've not experienced the joy that comes from the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel, why not follow him? You know, that's actually what the call of Jesus truly is. The call of Jesus is to follow him. The message of Jesus, follow me, he says. If that's you this morning, and maybe you've never seen Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Maybe you've never seen Him as fully God and fully man. You've been trusting in something else, someone else, but today you're looking at it and saying, I want that. Then today is the day to follow Him. Gracious God and Lord of our life, Father, we pause this morning to recognize the beauty, the majesty, the most wondrous truth that the very source of life was revealed to us when your son stepped onto earth as man. There's no question about your love. The questions are all taken care of when we understand that while we were still filthy, rotten sinners, came there's no question of your mercy for your son took our place on that cross there's no question of your justice since you poured out your wrath on the man jesus christ there's no question of your grace 
as you have forgiven us and bestowed upon us eternal life. Father, we are humble recipients of this at your hands and so much more. We could not honestly spend uh, uh, even a, a full day and exhaust the riches that you have given to us. We could take all day praising you for your goodness and never come to a conclusion. Righteous Father, I believe we have met with you this morning. We have sung your praises. We've extolled your great name. And Father, we've learned from your word. And now before we get into this time of invitation, we offer you our hearts. And so Lord, if there's any here today that have, have, have yet to respond, have yet to respond in repentance and faith to your offer of relationship, I ask that you would so impress upon their hearts their need of a Savior that they would come and place their trust in Jesus Christ. Father, would you please save some? Would you please call back others who have perhaps become wayward? Would you please search our hearts and woo us to a closer walk with you? Use this invitation time to do what only you can do, and that's to affect our hearts for the gospel's sake. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things, and for his glory alone. Amen.